This feature brought to you by the global leader in water and energy solutions, Grundfos B. Think, innovate. Welcome to the science of this evening. And tonight it's the science of bank regulation. Possibly second to watching paint dry, not the most exciting thing in the world. However, and let me justify that and clarify that very quickly, uh, bank regulation is absolutely pivotal. And it's one of the things that stopped a country like Australia from getting caught up in the very worst excesses of the financial crisis. And because our banks were stable and were well managed and were well capitalized, that lots of spare money on the balance sheet, they didn't fall into the same sorts of traps as going and investing in. And I suppose uh, exchange controls had a role to play here. But in 2008, when the global financial crisis hit, South African banks didn't own didn't own pensions in Iceland and they didn't own uh, subprime property in America. They didn't get caught up in that same mess. And bank regulation certainly has been taken very seriously uh, in South Africa for decades and most particularly over the last decade or so. And one of the people who has been in charge of bank regulation during that decade is Kuben Naidu. He's a deputy governor at the Reserve Bank and he's also chief executive of the Prudential Authority. Now, the Prudential Authority is something you. It's come about as part of this Twin Peaks regulation, which was seen away with the FSB, which is now the Financial Sector Conduct Authority, and you've now got another, the other peak of that, which is the Prudential Authority, which is essentially the regulator. Yes. <clears throat> sure. I mean, let me first explain why the twins and what the Twin Peaks are. We've got two objectives. One is the safety and soundness of these institutions. Mm-hmm from a financial point of view. And secondly, whether they're treating their customers fairly, where the customers are getting the right information, the right prices, the right products, and there's two separate institutions. The second big change is that whereas we supervised banks and the FSB supervised insurance companies and somebody else supervised cooperative banks, all of the financial services players are now supervised by the Prudential Authority from a safety and soundness point of view, and all of the financial sector players are supervised by the Financial Sector Conduct Authority from a market conduct point okay. of view. So there are two separate objectives here. Let, let's talk about the, 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 the drier one and the non-customer experience one, because that goes to the stability of a country. It goes to the stability of a financial system, and we've seen what happens to countries when financial systems go awry. We look at Zimbabwe, we look at Venezuela. We look at multiple countries where financial systems have failed. Countries fail when financial systems fail, which is why regulation of financial systems is important. Yes, you're absolutely correct. We regulate the financial sector from two different angles. The first is a financial stability angle. Right? That essentially is a top-down look at the entire system. In 2008, when Europe and America and Britain got into trouble, it wasn't because of a particular individual institution. It was because there was a problem in the entire system. The systemic risk was that they were, um, they, they were taking, they were giving mortgages out, for example, and giving mortgages to people who shouldn't have had them. And then what they thought was, well, we don't want these sitting on our balance sheets. These are nasty and these are bad. I'll tell you what, we'll put these into um, new, sexy new products and then we'll sell them to um, other, banks. Uh, other banks and we'll sell them to each other. And then yeah. this trade happened in these subprime assets yes. and they were worth nothing except yes. they were had they were marked with the value of 100 and they were worth 10 or less and when suddenly the, the tide went out and nobody had any, uh, didn't have any swimming costumes on we knew that the world was swimming naked yes so so that's the first role of the central bank the the top down financial stability role looking at the entire system 
The second role is actually a more bottom-up approach, what we call in technical terms the microprudential supervision that looks at the individual institutions, that looks at safety and soundness of individual institutions. Because you can get a problem either because there's a problem with the entire system, such as the subprime crisis, or you can get a problem with an individual bank. In 2002, South Africa had Sambo. Sambo, of course, was the I think the sixth biggest sixth. bank, the sixth biggest <coughs> bank at the time, and um, they were just lending out too much money and not collecting their debts uh, efficiently enough, and and they were put under curatorship, and that caused a run on banks. People were queuing around the block trying to get their deposits out of the bank. Yes, so the problems in one or two banks actually led to seventeen small banks either going under or being bought or put yeah. into curatorship, or being liquidated. During, between 1998 and 2002, 17 banks in South Africa disappeared. And, and there, were, there were some lovely little banks. I mean, there was Boilam Bank, and there were all kinds of wonderful yeah. little financial institutions which died. And that was at the time that Capitec was being birthed in South Africa, and people thought it would never make it. Yet Capitec has defied its critics, and Capitec has now what, gotten you know, amongst the biggest number of customers in a retail bank in South Africa, and has certainly got uh, its number, I think, the fourth biggest bank now in terms of market value. Um, no, by market value, they're probably still sixth. Oh, they're still but sixth by customer investment. numbers, they're probably second or third. Amazing. Um, they have almost 10 million customers now. Yeah. I mean, and, and so that financial system, I mean, the crisis hit uh, Sambo. Sambo was put into curatorship, and Trevor Manuel at the time was criticized for doing that by not giving them a lifeline to try and trade themselves out of trouble. But the moment Sambo went down, there was a run on BOE, Board of Executors, which then caused Nedbank to step in and buy BOE. Nedbank then ran out of money. And Old Mutual, as we've just been talking about it today, yes. Old Mutual then had to step into the breach and give, I think, five billion rand to Nedbank and become the controlling shareholder um, to make sure that there wasn't a run on Nedbank. Because if that had happened, then probably APSA would have been next. Yes, you, we would have had a systemic crisis. We would have had a problem with the entire banking system. So the purpose of regulators is to not micromanage the banks, but allow the banks to manage themselves, but manage themselves within a very firm set of guidelines and regulations that says you have to have this much capital on your balance sheet. You can't lend more than that percentage of that capital. You can't borrow more than X or Y amount. And these rules are governed from a little Swiss village called Basel, <laughs> um, possibly the most boring town in the world. But out of that comes the basis of global banking regulation as we know it. And we are obliged as being part of the banking system to stick to that. We're not legally obliged. In some cases, it's choice. We've chosen to accept these standards partly because we want our banks to operate in a global market. So our banks are quite internationalized. Uh, take Standard Bank, for example. They operate in 10 or 12 countries. Barclays Africa or APSA operates in 9 or 10 countries. Um, our banks are quite international. And the fact that they adhere to the best practice in global standards helps them internationalize. But it also helps you as a customer because it means that your FNB or your APSA or your Standard Bank or Nedbank credit card is accepted in 150 countries because you can be part of the visa system. Whereas if your banks weren't accepted as part of the global financial system, you wouldn't be able to use your credit card online or in the real world. Exactly. Uh, it goes beyond just credit cards. It'll, it's much easier for me to buy and sell goods abroad or import or export. And there are hundreds of thousands of businesses who do this every day. Sure. Uh, and because we're part of a global financial ecosystem, you know, you can buy a, a, a product from Microsoft online. 
if you were not part of a global ecosystem, global ecosystem wouldn't be able to do that. Is South Africa still regarded as being one of the best regulated financial environments in the world? We'd like to think so. Uh, I certainly think that the recent auditing scandals have hurt uh, yep. Uh, South Africa's image in, in, in general. But in the financial sector, we've got very good banks, sound banks, well-regulated banks, uh, and a regulatory framework that I think is amongst the best in the world. Then we have to come back with a question because you teed it up perfectly, and you know where I'm going to go with this, don't you? How did VBS Mutual Bank happen? Sure. That's an important discussion to have because we need to understand what looks like a deliberate and very carefully calculated fraud, certainly from the information that is being emerging from the curator of, of that particular bank, that uh, this is was an accident waiting to happen. Why does regulation not always work? It's an important discussion coming up now. It's the science of bank regulation this evening, and it's deceptively interesting, actually, the way in which uh, something you take for granted every single day. If you go onto your internet banking, you go to an ATM, you simply expect it to work. You put money in, you want your money out. That isn't always guaranteed in all societies because sometimes banks go bust. And the idea of having a regulatory environment is that you have a, a system where there are checks and balances on the financial system, on the banks, to make sure that they don't play, to use a technical term, silly buggers with your money in a way that means that you don't have your deposits left because that causes all kinds of chaos in a society. So if South African banks are so well regulated, Kiben Naidu, Deputy Governor at the Reserve Bank and Chief Executive of the Prudential Authority, which makes him the big regulator. How does something like a VBS mutual bank happen? That's a good question. Um, firstly, VBS is a very small bank, right? Around 2 billion rand in a 5 trillion rand banking sector. Okay. Secondly, VBS is a mutual bank. The, not to get too technical, but the regulatory framework around mutual banks is slightly less intrusive than for normal commercial banks. Why is that? Because they've got a different set of products and services and, and different risk profile? Yes. They, they're seen as smaller banks. They're seen as almost community-driven banks uh, with a slightly different risk profile. But that doesn't mean to say that we should allow them to fail no. or that we want them to fail. Uh, VBS has failed essentially because of what I think is spectacular levels of fraud, mm -hmm. spectacular levels of lying. Um, we, we get data monthly from the banks, and it appears as though the data that we were getting was entirely false. Now, this data was signed off on a monthly basis by the CEO of the bank and the auditors of the bank. And the auditors, as we know, were uh, two gentlemen from KPMG, the lead audit partners on financial services from KPMG, somebody who should have been above reproach and should have been completely trustworthy in this matter. Yes, so we, we, we are going to have an inquiry to see if we missed something. Were we asleep at the wheel? Why did we allow such spectacular levels of fraud uh, to, to occur? Um, but the bottom line is they lied to us. Yeah. Even then, for over 18 months, we'd had them under intensive supervision. So you knew there was something not quite right. Yes. But you, we, could you not put your finger on it? Or? No, we could. Mm. But we don't run the bank. So, in, for example, we gave the bank an instruction to reduce its reliance on municipal deposits because we said 
that there's significant risk here. But there was, there was also in contravention of the Municipal Finance Act. I mean, yes. they shouldn't have been taking those deposits in the first place. They shouldn't have been place. taking those deposits mm. in the first place. And we asked them to put a plan in place to get rid of these deposits. From the time that we asked them to get rid of these deposits to the time that they went under curatorship, they increased the amount of deposits by almost 50%, from about a billion to a billion and a half, from 13 municipalities to about 20, 21 municipalities. They, organize, they, they, they ignored a regulatory instruction. Yes. Is that a criminal offense or is it, is it not a criminal offense? I don't know if it's a criminal offense. We have instituted a forensic investigation, okay. which is separate from the curatorship. We've asked uh, Advocate Terry Motau, senior counsel, to investigate whether there was fraud in the bank, whether, there were, whether they lied to the regulator. And if there was fraud in the bank, if they lied to the regulator, we will certainly follow up to ensure that there is criminal sanctions against the The Banks Act is one of the most ferocious and well-implemented pieces of legislation in South Africa. I mean, it's always been treated as a holy grail of regulation and legislation. If there's one piece of legislation that has been properly administered, it's been the Banks Act for a long time. No, thanks for that. We take our job seriously because this is the public's money. Banking is a strange institution. You give your money to a complete stranger and you expect it back whenever you want. Mm. There are very few institutions on the planet that exist. You wouldn't go, you wouldn't go to your corner shop, your spaza or the, your local pick and pay and say, listen, here's a hundred buck deposit. I'm just going to come and get a bottle of milk every day for the next five days until yes. the money's finished because somebody's going to forget. They don't have a system to ensure that I can get my five liters of milk over five consecutive days. You just don't do that. Yes. Yeah. Or even walk to a corner shop and give them 20,000 rand and say, I'll come and get it sometime in the future. When are you going to get it? I'm not sure. Could you just give me a little bit extra because you've yes. got my money, please? Yes. Yeah. And because it's the public's money, because it exists on the basis of trust, it is one of the most regulated sectors anywhere. I think it's probably the second most regulated sector after the aviation industry. Yeah. Um, and for good reason. And I think South Africa's got a good track record, but we have not always had a good track record. We've had two banking crises in South Africa. The first was 95, 96. What happened then? The, Sorry, the, the, 85, 86. 85, 86 is when Ned Bank got into trouble and had to well, be bailed out. No, 85, 86, uh, there were a number of small banks that got into trouble during the debt standstill agreements. Rubicon speech, P.W. Yes, Buerta, the exactly. world went mad. Yes. yes. And it was at that period that APSA was formed. Yes, of course, Bancorp. Right. And yes. the lifeboat. Oh, yes. the lifeboat. Right. And there was a significant crisis. The second major banking crisis was between ni 1998 and 2002, mm. as I said, when 17 banks went under. So South Africa has done pretty well since then, but we have to keep being vigilant. How do you be con contemplate regulating in an environment of cryptocurrencies, in an environment where banks of the future are an app? Not a, not a branch and not a, not a network. We've got a couple of new banks, a so Time Digital coming into the market, Australian controlled with South African shareholders. You've got Discovery launching a bank possibly as soon as September. Michael Yordan tweeted a picture of his mainframe with Bank Zero. These are banks that, are unlike anything we've ever seen before, a bit like Investec, which has got a big head office, but there are no branches. There's no physical presence. You can't go and biff your branch manager on the nose if your deposit disappears. This is big trust. Sure, there, there are two separate things there. Firstly, on cryptocurrencies, our banks use RANDs, and we regulate them on the basis that they have RANDs in their capital. At this point in time, we do not allow them to hold cryptocurrencies on their balance sheet, certainly for qualifying assets. 
Right. So, so they they can be playing with, with with cryptocurrency in the background if they want to. Do they have to disclose it to you if they have a crypto division where they they're just learning how this market works? Or no, not? if they're learning, experimenting. In fact, they need to notify us. Uh, but we've allowed learning. We've allowed experimentation. Uh, but we will not allow them to hold cryptocurrencies as capital, for example. No. Uh, we've also. Uh, some jurisdictions have put restrictions on lending to people specifically for the purpose of buying cryptocurrencies or crypto assets. Um, but technology is a big change. Yeah. Right. And it's a change that we think is good because it promotes financial inclusion. We think it lowers the barriers to entry. Five years ago, to build a core banking system probably cost you 10 billion rand. Today, you can buy one off the shelf and customize it for 500 million. Yeah. Much lower costs. You don't have to build a branch network. It's easier to get a 3G signal to the middle of nowhere than it is to get a branch. Sure. Uh, and most customers, even in South Africa, want to use their cell phones or their iPads uh, or the telephone to be able to transact. And you have to have the technolo- technological systems. So we think this is hugely positive for financial inclusion. We also think it would lower the costs of banking for most people. I met a guy today called Sepo Molloy, um, who ran, runs uh, the Stockfeller app. Um, and it, he is taking deposits and he, he is regulated by the Financial Sector Conduct Authority. Mm. And it's, it's that kind of thing where there are 700 people in the Stockfell who are putting money away each, each month with the goal one day of having a form of a bank of their own. They, they see this as an opportunity. South Africa has got a few rungs in its in its ladder on banks. We have something called cooperative financial institutions, which is probably one level above a stockfell. Mm. But these guys are looking to develop a cooperative bank out of yes. the stockfell. Yeah, you can then develop into a cooperative bank, which needs a minimum of two million rand worth of deposits. They work. Depositors yeah. own the bank, and you can only lend to depositors. Moving up one rung, you've got mutual banks where depositors own the bank, but you can lend to anyone. And you need a minimum of 10 million rand of capital to have a mutual bank. A commercial banking license on the other end is 250 million. That's the minimum capital requirement for a commercial banking. And that becomes difficult and quite exclusionary, which is why one has to, within, I suppose, a limited tolerance level, allow some adventure in the space. We've not, South Africa had not issued any new banking licenses for 11 years. In the last two years, we've licensed, as you said, Discovery and Commonwealth Bank of South Africa, or TIME. Um, we've also licensed Bank Zero and a cooperative institution called Zika Miso. That's four licenses that have been given in the last 12 to 18 months when we hadn't issued yeah. any banking licenses. We've got a couple of applications in train. Uh, the Post Bank is in the process of applying for a banking license. Uh, and there are a couple of other institutions that are also. We saw the Young Women in Business Network apply for a mutual yeah. banking license about 10 days ago. And I think this is partly because technology is lowering the barriers to yeah. entry, and that's positive. Disruption is positive. However, you want disruption to take place within a regulated framework because at the end of the day, it's people's money you're playing with. Most certainly, and we can't allow anybody to take it away. Kaben Naidu is the director, is chief executive of the Prudential Authority, the big regulator within South Africa's financial system. He's also a deputy governor at the Reserve Bank.
And of course, uh, the, <laughs> the pump systems account for a staggering 10% of the world's electrical energy consumption. Did you know that? Pump systems account for a staggering 10% of the world's electrical energy consumption. To shift to energy efficient pumps, you could save 50% of that energy. Grinfoss is the global leader in innovative pump technology and is leading the charge in reducing our environmental impact and further mitigating our environmental deficit by harnessing power from off the grid and renewable systems. For sustainable pumping solutions in building Industries and water utilities. Choose Grindfoss. Change the world. Visit scienceofgrindfoss.co.za. Grindfoss, sustainably intelligent energy solutions. We care for people and our planet.